The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like for you to open your Bibles now, if you would please, to Revelation chapter number 21. And it's been a real pleasure. Uh, enjoy just studying for this series about heaven. After so many weeks that we talked about the devil and hell, it's a, a welcome relief to turn our attention away from those things to be reminded of the glorious hope of every believer. Jesus told the disciples that he was going away to prepare a place for them and Truly, that place that he prepares is spectacular beyond our wildest imaginations. And it's interesting, though, as we discussed last week, that New Testament writers didn't say very much about what we'll find in heaven. At least the physical aspects of it aren't discussed very often. Uh, Bible authors often mention heaven, but Revelation chapters 21 and 22 are the most extensive uh, verses, chapters that we have on the physical aspects of heaven. And because of what's written here, we are able to take a look at this and talk about that part of heaven. But before I go there, I want to remind you once again of how the New Testament author's thoughts were not so much attuned to the perks of heaven as they are to the person of heaven. And the reason they wanted to go there was to see Jesus. Jesus is the focus uh, he left, they wanted him back, because there's nothing like being in the presence of the Savior. Now, a few weeks ago, in the morning that I was going to work on this sermon to get uh, start getting it ready for you, I, I woke up about 3.30 in the morning with a song on my mind. And the song is one that we don't hear sung very much anymore, but it's a, it's a great song. It's a hymn that was written by Fanny J. Crosby, who was blind almost from her birth, she wrote about 8,000 songs, and I don't know that there's any better than the one that she wrote about this. Uh, her blindness really makes this song all the sweeter. And these are the words that she wrote. Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing. But oh, the joy when I shall wake within the presence of the King. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. And that song expresses the same sentiments that we find the authors of Scripture talked about. Paul said that he had a desire to depart this life, to be with Christ, which is far better. And he said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he described the coming of the Lord. You remember this in First Thessalonians where he said the Lord is going to come with the shout of the archangel and the and the, the, the sound of the trumpet. And he said, we're going to be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so his primary thought was about going to see Jesus. And so Fanny J. Crosby, when she thought about what she would see, uh, she didn't focus on the physical aspects of heaven. When her sight was healed, the thing that she wants to see or wanted to see is Jesus. Now, there's another great hymn that was written by Carrie Breck. Uh, the hymn is Face to Face. Carrie Breck couldn't actually, she couldn't carry a tune, so she didn't write the music to, the familiar music to the song that we sing Face to Face. But she was a great poet, and she wrote these words, 
Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? Face to face with my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who died for me. Face to face, I shall behold Him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all His glory, I shall see Him by and by. And I think the authors of those songs had it right. The attraction of heaven is Jesus. Heaven is for His glory much more than it is for our enjoyment, although... There is no enjoyment in heaven without Jesus. If he's not there, there's no reason to go. He is the joy of heaven, and it wouldn't be heaven without him. I think verse number 3 in our text says it well. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Isn't that a wonderful thought? God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now, later on, we're going to talk about activities in heaven, and I can promise you that there are many activities, but all of them are going to center on the love, the adoration, and the praise of God. If you don't like to worship the Lord now, you might want to stay here, not go to heaven, because that's what heaven is going to be among all the activities. There are many of them, and we're going to be happy to spend our time worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I don't think that we think about heaven enough. We desire a better life here, and we just don't think enough about going to heaven. And indeed, the, the real attraction of heaven is Jesus, and the Scriptures concentrate on him more than they do the physical aspects. But because the Bible does talk about those physical aspects, so may we, and so we're going to talk about that for a little while. We're going to spend some time talking about it. So let's read our text verses. Uh, do you want to know what happens to believers after they die? Well, it unfolds in the revelation that uh, God gave to John. Revelation 21 and verse number 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Now, before we begin these verses today, I, I'd like to, just to go back for just a moment to the central figure of heaven. If you would, turn back in your, in your Bible to the first chapter of Revelation. I'd like us to look at verse number 1. Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 1. This is the beginning of the Revelation. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now just flip a few more pages over to the fourth chapter, if you would. And let's look at uh, verse number 4. Revelation 4 and verse number 4. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. 
And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Now, without doubt, Revelation is one of the most perplexing books of the Bible. Great Bible teachers like Martin Luther didn't quite know what to do with it. Luther was so confused about it that he came to the conclusion that Revelation shouldn't even be a part of the canon of Scripture. Uh, Part of his problem was that he favored the interpretation of Revelation at the time, which was the allegorical interpretation, and that surely leads to confusion. But in the past 150 years or so, uh, eschatology, which is the doctrine of last things, what's going to happen at the end of the world, has become a more prominent doctrine, and we've become to understand it a little bit better through the development of dispensationalism. But Luther finally did come to the place that he accepted that Revelation should be in the Bible, but he just wasn't a very good interpreter of it. But Revelation is a very interesting book because all of us want to know what's going to happen at the end. What, what will happen when this world ends, when life is over? And we're interested in that because the book of Ecclesiastes said that God has put eternity in our heart. But too often when we look at Revelation, our interest is in the wrong place and not the place that God intended that it would be. We're interested in things that we read here like the tribulation and about demons and cataclysmic world events. We want to know about Armageddon and the Antichrist and angels and demons and all of those things. But the focus of Revelation is not actually those things. The focus of this is Jesus. Uh, One of the things that I don't like to hear people say is they talk about the book of Revelations. But this is not a book of Revelations. Not many revelations of many things, but rather it's the book of Revelation. One central revelation that has many facets to it. As Romans, uh, rather, Revelation 1 verse 1 says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So whatever you read in the revelation, no matter what it is, uh, no matter what we talk about there, it's all one revelation that relates to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of the Antichrist and tribulation, all of those things. The central focus always remains that it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the focus of this book. Heaven and Jesus are almost synonymous terms in the Scripture, just as the songs that we just talked about describe. And so when you get to chapters 4 and 5 in the Revelation, heaven is opened up, and there you see the glory and the singing and the attention all directed towards Jesus, who is the Lamb of God. Now in the 8th verse of the 4th chapter, it speaks of the angelic creatures that are around God's throne. It says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Those are the seraphim, the angels of God, the the highest of the orders of angels. And who is the one that sits on that throne that they give praise to? 
Well, you look at chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, and it tells us who is on that throne, where it says, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. So let's make sure that we do this. First and foremost, whenever we talk about heaven, let's focus primarily on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what heaven is all about. And I'll refer to that time and time again as we go through our study. Now, as we look at this text today, we're actually beginning in a place that leaves a lot unsaid. Much has gone on before this point, And heaven doesn't just appear in this narrative without a lot of preparation. If we didn't know anything about the Revelation, uh, the first verse of this chapter raises a question, and the question is, what happened? Why does John see this? What happened? I saw a new heaven and a new earth, he said. So what we need to do is fill in some blanks with some background information. So we're going to do that with the first observation today. Number one, we want to talk about the cataclysm. We want to find out what happened that John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I don't have time to do a full exposition of everything that came before this, but there is some information that will be helpful to us because John says in that first verse, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. So he said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the question is, why? And he says it's because the old ones are gone. They've gone out of existence. Well, what happened to them? Well, there are many important events that caused it to happen. At this point of the reading, we're 1,007 years beyond the time that Christ has come to take his people back home. The rapture has already happened. Seven years of tribulation have happened. 1,000 years of Christ's rule upon the earth have happened. Satan's destruction has happened. The great white throne judgment that we read about in chapter 20 has happened. The lake of fire has happened where all of the unbelievers are put because they have rejected God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're put there for eternal punishment. And the only ones that are left in all of creation, all of the universe at this point, the only ones that are left are the redeemed of God, those that have gone to be with God in heaven, and the holy elect angels of God. That's all that there is. Now what happened is that the world in which we live now has a curse on it, and it has the curse of destruction and the curse of sin. When God created the world, he created a perfect world. At the end of six days creation, God stood back and he pronounced everything that he had made good. And may I just say to you that that was a literal six-day creation? And if you don't believe that, you have to change the theology of the Bible. You have to change the effects of the curse and how that happened. You have to change Jesus' references to it and how he made Adam and Eve. You have to change the way that plant and animal life appeared on this earth because God very clearly says in Genesis chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, that the plant came first and then came the seed. 
And so do you understand this? That means that the plant was made whole, it was placed on the earth, and then plants produced the seeds, and that makes it impossible that evolution could have occurred, and therefore now we have plant life and higher forms of life. To accept evolution is to deny the Bible. You can't do it because theologically it simply does not work. And if you alter the creation of man, and you make that a, a millions of years process, you have to change the model of Adam's headship over the creation of this world, his, dom, his dominion over the world. And you have to change, theologically, the second Adam, who is Jesus Christ, who came to lift the curse from this world and to be the head of the church, the people of God. Now, all death came as a result of the fall, which evolution denies. Evolution imposes death before Adam. And so what you need to do if you believe that is pull Romans out of the Bible. Just take Romans chapter 1, tear it up, and, and take the, the doctrine of salvation and tear it up and just throw it out of the Bible because you've already done that to Genesis chapter 1, verses uh, chapters 1 through 11. So just tear up the Bible if you believe that. Evolution is perhaps Satan's greatest modern attempt to destroy Scripture and salvation. There is so much of the Bible's theology that depends upon a literal six-day creation that you can't be a consistent Christian and deny it. But that's not my subject today. I just threw that in for you. Oh, there's a curse on the earth. There's a curse because of sin, and it includes everything that is on the earth and the earth itself. In fact, the entire universe is affected by sin. And it's apparent to us, because even as we speak, this universe is winding down. If God should, should let the world operate under the natural laws that he created, eventually the sun and the stars would expend all of their fuel, they would burn out, and life on this planet would end. Oh, it's interesting to think about. What if Adam hadn't sinned? Well, if he hadn't sinned, the sun would keep on shining. Stars would keep on twinkling in the sky. Uh, life on this planet would exist forever. And truth be told, that would be not be as good as what God planned in giving Jesus Christ to die for our sins because what comes now is far better than what the universe was when Adam saw it when he was here. But we needn't think about that because this world is not going to end by natural laws. It won't. Because Scripture says that God is going to destroy the earth and it's not going to be a slow ending while we wait for the sun to burn out. No plant and animal life and the physical world will end in a sudden cataclysmic event. Well, let's do a brief Bible study on that for just a few minutes. Turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah. The prophets wrote about this long before God gave the revelation to John. And we find it many times throughout the Scripture, but Isaiah is one of the clearest places of Old Testament Scripture that we find it. So you look in Isaiah chapter 34, and here's the prophet speaking the words of God to the people, and he talks about this great cataclysmic event that will come. Isaiah 34 and verse number 1. Come near, ye nations, to hear, and hearken, ye people. Let the earth hear, and all that is therein, the world and all things that come forth of it. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations, and his fury upon all their armies. He hath utterly destroyed them. He hath delivered them to the slaughter. Their slain also shall be cast out, and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. Now, verse 4. And all the host of heaven 
shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falleth off from the vine, and as the falling fig from the fig tree. That's talking about the very stars of heaven, like falling out of the sky, like figs fall off of a fig tree. Now, if you go a few pages over to Isaiah chapter 51, here we find more about it. Isaiah 51, and in verse number 6, Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke. And the earth shall wax old like a garment, and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. And then another reference is in Psalm 102, verse 26. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. And as I said, there are many other Scriptures in the Old Testament about this cataclysm, especially processes that lead up to it, like the tribulation, the millennial kingdom, all preparing the world for the final end and final destruction. Now, in the New Testament, there are also other references. Uh, Jesus said this about it in Luke 21, verse 33. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And then we have this in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. Thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. And then... There's Peter's stunning statement that he makes in 2 Peter. You need to turn there. Let's go there because this is one of the clearest places in the Scripture about what's going to happen at the end of this world. 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's make sure that we look at it. And here we find a reference that's uh, to many other things that are said in these important passages that we've just read. So let's look at this carefully for just a moment. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now go down to verse number 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and all the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness." Now, you see this? He says that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And what he's talking about is the day that ends it all. And what we have here is the language of shock. It's the language of calamity. That the sun will be shining, uh, the stars will be twinkling, the earth and the planets will revolve around the sun in their normal orbits. The creation will be operating in its cycles, night and day, planting and harvest. Everything goes on as usual, but then suddenly, with a big bang, all of it ends. 
And you heard me right, folks. There really is a big bang. Only it's in the future. It wasn't in the past. There is a big bang that's coming. Now, this earth came into existence by the spoken word. It didn't come into existence by a bang. There wasn't any explosion. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And there was a voice that came out of the stillness and the void, the silence of that void. And it said, let there be. And there was. But the end of this world is not like that. Peter said, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And so there's a big bang and all the elements are burned up. What does he mean by that? All the elements, what is that? Well, let's check that out for a minute. Look at the second phrase of verse number 10. The heaven shall pass away with a great noise. Now there he's not talking about the heaven where God lives. God's not going to destroy his home. This means the stellar heavens. This is the space of the universe, and which the scriptures call the second heaven. Heaven is a term in scripture that's used in different ways. There's the first heaven. That means the atmospheric heavens. That's where the birds fly, where airplanes fly, where a child's balloon floats off into the, into the air above us. It's the space above us contained within this atmosphere. That's the first heaven. And then there's the second heaven. And that's outer space. It's the place of the sun and the stars. The place of the Milky Way and billions of other galaxies. It's the place of the earth and the planets and moons. An area so vast you cannot conceive it. This isn't our day for a science lesson. But I think that you do understand that the universe is so vast that we try to compact the distances by using light years. But those numbers are what we call astronomical. I mean, they're just too big for us. They're so large that light years really don't have, don't have a frame of reference for us. We can't even imagine what that is. And yet all of that is not as big as God. And God fills every corner of it and whatever lies beyond it. God is as big as heaven and you can't put light years on heaven. Oh, there are distances here that we're talking about that lifetimes can't travel. You can't cross it at the speed of light. And yet Paul crossed it with the speed of thought. He crossed it with the speed of thought immediately being in the presence of the Lord. Now Peter's not speaking of the third heaven in verse number 10. He's speaking of heaven and earth as we see it in verse number 7, the heaven and earth that exists today. And so that means the earth and the universe in which we live, these are the elements, the stellar heavens are going to be burned up. Everything in this vast universe will explode and it goes out of existence. God at once rolls it up like a scroll, the Scripture says, like a man takes off his clothes, his vestments, and folds them up and puts them away. That's how easy it is for our great God to end it all. He spoke it into existence ex nihilo. That means out of nothing. Out of nothing. And he will vaporize it just as suddenly into nothing. And I don't even know if vaporize is the right word to use. That sounds like he reduces it to a gas. But no, I mean nothing. It goes out of existence. And you see also, he says that the earth is going to be burned up. Well, you can't destroy the universe without destroying the earth. I guess God could do that. But the earth falls fatal victim to this conflagration, this cataclysm. It explodes with the universe and it's gone. 
and all the works that are in are burned up. Now the works, that means everything that the world is because of sin. All of it is infected with sin and God's going to exterminate the germ of it. Everything that he created, everything that man added to it has been infected with this sin germ and God's going to destroy it. And God causes not only the universe to go out of existence, but he causes sin to go out of existence as well. Now notice this preaching point that Peter throws in. Peter was a good preacher, and he knew when to take advantage of his subject at hand. And so you see, he says this, if God is going to burn all of this up, and nothing that's here counts for anything, and in light of the fact that God is powerful enough to do it, how should we live in the light of the Almighty God and what he commands? What kind of people should we be? Verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? That's a sobering thought, isn't it? We need to prepare ourselves for this. It happens suddenly. Those of us who know the Lord, we're not going to be caught off guard. And so we should live and be ready for the Lord to come at any time. We ought not to mock that as scientists do and as anti-scientist evolutionists do. They don't believe God. They don't trust the Word of God. And how sad it is for them that by His Word, by His command, He will give that command and a charge will be set off and it will destroy, explode this universe that will reverberate throughout the extent of it all the way to the outer limits of it. It'll all be destroyed. It's a great conflagration, a cataclysm beyond imaginable proportions. Now that's the background of what John saw in verse number 1. Heaven and earth pass away. Well, what happens then? Well, in 2 Peter 3, in verse number 13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And that's all there is there, nothing but righteousness, and a new heaven and a new earth. Now, next then, we want to look at the new creation. The new creation. What did John see? A new heaven and a new earth. Why did he see it? Because the first ones are destroyed. Then God says in verse number 5, Behold, I make all things new. Now, I need to stop there for just a minute. God's going to create a new universe, a new earth. And I have to ask you, is God going to need an evolutionist for this? Can God make a new earth without a process of billions of years? Can he make a lush green earth again without a sludge pond for some microscopic animal to grow up in and then crawl out of and then become what God wants to be on the earth? Is he capable of doing that? Oh, think that through, people. Think of the God that you truly serve. Can you believe that God makes something out of nothing and that's just by speaking the word it's fully formed and operable? Can he destroy the world in an instant if he wants? Oh, God's going to make a new heavens and a new earth, and he'll do it suddenly. And he'll destroy the old earth and heaven suddenly. God makes a new heavens and a new earth. Now, the, the new heaven is not the heaven of heavens. It's a new stellar heaven. We're talking about a new universe. This earth that he makes, the earth that he makes, it's not the old earth that's made better. It's the new earth, and he creates it like he did the first earth, ex nihilo, out of nothing. 
God calls things into existence. God doesn't need matter. He doesn't need material. He makes matter. And he doesn't use materials out of the old earth. This earth that he makes is clean and new. It's bright and shiny. It has new car smell on it. You understand what I mean by that? You know, you go to the car wash and they have a scent that's called new car. And you spray that into your car. And what does that car smell like? It smells like an old car with a funny smell is what it smells like. Well, you know, that, that's kind of like putting on deodorant without taking a bath. And, and like putting on perfume to cover up the stink. No, if you need new car smell, you've got to get a new car. That's what God does here. He creates a new, fresh, clean, pristine universe and new earth out of things that do not exist. And that's what I want you to get. The afterlife will include a new earth grander than the original Garden of Eden. Now, when you think about heaven, you've got to get this into your mind, that the heaven where God lives includes this new earth within its boundaries. The new earth is not heaven. It's a part of heaven. And the new universe that God creates is contained within heaven. There is nothing beyond heaven. In the end, everything is heaven. And you don't come to the border of heaven and reach a fence and wonder, well, what's on the other side of that? No, heaven goes on forever. Your mind can't grasp that right now. But when you get to heaven, you'll begin to understand there is no end to this heaven that God has for us. And the new universe is contained within that. The new world is contained, or earth is contained within that. Now, the world that we live in right now isn't. And the universe that we live in right now is not contained within heaven because it's infected with sin. So heaven exists outside of this earth and that we're living in and the universe that we have. Now, heaven, of course, is in existence right now. We don't know where it is. It does, it does exist right now. Well, we can send a rocket out of our atmosphere and go to the moon, but it doesn't pass through heaven. Someday we might be able to go to Mars, and that's a long way off, but that spacecraft that goes there does not pass through heaven. We've sent unmanned spacecraft out to the further reaches of the solar system. Right now we have one that's out by Pluto. Now brace yourself for this because this is something you can understand. It took nine years for that spacecraft to get to Pluto. It's so far away. It takes four and a half hours to get a message back from that spacecraft to the Earth. Now, teenagers, you need to calm down here. I know that's a shock to the system to think you'd have to wait four and a half hours between a text message. That's a long time. We're talking dark ages and smoke signals that are faster than that. But Pluto's so further, far away, it's, it's further away than you want to even send your mother-in-law. It, but it's not far enough, it's not far enough away to pass through heaven. You can't go to heaven in a spacecraft. And yet, for all of its distance... Paul again said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. How? How can that happen? We're talking about traveling distances that can't be traveled. How did Jesus say that to him? Well, I suppose that we would explain it like people do Genesis. Jesus said to the thief, Today you will be with me in paradise. Only what he meant was you need to understand we're talking a Genesis day here. A day is actually billions of years. Didn't you know that? 
And a, a day, it's, a, it's going to be a long, 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 long time before you get there. Why do you take a day in Luke 23, 43, when Jesus spoke to that thief, to be different from a day in Genesis chapter 1? Now, a day, that's, that's a day. Jesus said, today, in this day, the day that we're in right now, you're going to die and you're going to be in heaven with me. You will transverse all of that distance that it takes to get to heaven. In a split second, you're going to be there. You close your eyes, you wake up in the glories of heaven. How does it happen? Well, that vastness is transversed by Almighty God who transcends everything. And so here's the point again. Heaven includes, encompasses the new universe and the new earth. The present earth and universe that we have now are not contained within the boundaries of heaven because they are cursed. That's why you can never find heaven in this universe. But the new heaven and the new earth are different. They're wholly contained within because they're perfect. Now, heaven is huge. Huge doesn't touch it. But when you get that body that's made for heaven, you'll begin to understand this. You can be anywhere in, in this heaven that God has, the vastness of this heaven with the speed of sanctified Holy Spirit thought. Well, let's come back down to the earth for just a minute. There is a new earth. I don't know the dimensions of it, but since it's described as earth, I suppose that it would be similar in size to the present earth. I think God calls it earth and not something else because we can relate to the size, shape, and somewhat to the physical characteristics of it. We don't have to worry about overpopulating this new earth. There's no China to limit births, and there aren't any births anyway. There's no procreation. All the people that ever lived on this earth now could easily fit on the new earth because I don't think we have to worry about the overcrowding and go to another planet to live on because all of this new earth will be inhabitable by spirits and uh, the bodies of men and their spirits and that glorified body. They'll be able to inhabit all of this new earth. I, I, I don't think there's going to be an Arctic or an Antarctic. There won't be a Sahara Desert or a Moby Desert, uh, Gobi Desert or or the Mojave Desert, Desert even. The earth will be suitable for glorified humans everywhere. Now take a look at verse number 1 again. It says, there is no sea. There is no sea on this new earth. What does that mean? Sorry, I don't have time to tell you today. I could go on and we could talk more about heaven. We might be able to talk until we get there, but I need to stop. So you can take care of hunger issues. I don't want anybody to die in the service today and go to heaven because you didn't eat. So uh, we'll stop here. You know, when the, when the preacher says, uh, I could go on, usually he means, no, I can't. I just ran out of material. Now, that's not the case here. Uh, I actually came into the pulpit with plenty of material. We could go on and on for quite a while, but I won't hold you. Next week, we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about that. We'll start there, talking about the sea. What does he mean by that? There is no see on this new earth heaven what a place that's going to be vast immeasurable beautiful glorious but best of all jesus will be there face to face with christ my savior face to face what will it be when with rapture i behold him jesus christ who died for me face to face i shall behold him where does the song say Far beyond the starry sky, face to face in all his glory, I shall see him by and by. Let me just ask you, are you going to heaven?
Do you know if you're going to heaven? You know, the Bible says that you can know for sure. Not hoping for heaven. Not hoping that you might make it there. If things work out okay and you're pretty good that you can get there. No, the Bible says you can know absolutely for sure that you are going to heaven. And the way that you know it is by faith in Jesus Christ. You trust him and the promise of heaven is yours. And God promised he will take you there because of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto them also that love his appearing. How about this? Let's just all go to heaven. Why don't we do that? Why don't we all just join the journey and go to heaven? And you can do that by trusting Jesus today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For the great promise that you've given us. That through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Understanding what he did on the cross of Calvary. To save us from our sins. Knowing that there is nothing that we can do. No work that we do ever makes us good enough to go. Nothing that we could hope to present to you as. The goodness that we have to qualify us for this wonderful place. It's called heaven. We're thankful, Lord, that your word says you don't need any of that. But we come based only upon what Jesus Christ did for us. That he died on the cross to save us from our sins. And that's the only thing you tell us to bring. Faith in him. And Lord, we even thank you for this. That you show us, you open up our eyes. And awaken us to the faith that we need to come to you. Lord, I pray that you do that with some sinner today. Someone who hasn't recognized this yet. Help them to stop depending upon themselves to go to heaven. Not by all the good works that they did. Not by sacraments that they keep. Not by rituals that they go through. But by the work of Jesus Christ and him alone. And then Lord I pray for again for saints that are here today. Those who are believers in you. That we would just turn all of our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. And think about this wonderful place where God dwells forever where Jesus is there where you will be our God and we will be your people what a wonderful thought that is thank you for the promise of heaven in Jesus name we pray amen a little secret that's not really so much of a secret because we find it right in the word of God now, the world is going to end as I said with the big bang suddenly it's going to go out of existence but I can tell you right now, that's not going to happen during your lifetime. It won't happen during your lifetime. So you say, why should I be concerned about that then? I mean, we're talking about if the Lord should come today, it's going to be at least a thousand seven years before the whole thing ends. But there's another little piece of this that should make you so much aware of this. And that's the part that the Lord is coming back. He comes back before this happens. And that is going to happen suddenly as well. It could happen right now. Or, you know very well, you could breathe your last breath right now. And die and go into eternity. And face the Lord at the judgment not knowing Jesus Christ. We need to be prepared for this now. Because no matter if the end of the world happens a thousand seven years from today. That doesn't mean that you're going to escape the cataclysmic ending for you. You have to know Jesus Christ to do that. 
I encourage you to trust him today. It could happen right now. I get up every morning and I pray for that. It's not, it's, you know, I don't want to leave my wife. I, I mean, I love my wife. I love my kids. And but I want the Lord to come back. And so I pray, come now. She's going with me, by the way. So don't infer anything from what I just said. Um, but I want the Lord to come now. And I hope that you do too. But if he comes now, there may be some of you in here that aren't going. And I don't think that the Word of God supports that people who have heard the message of Jesus Christ now and He comes back will believe later before He ends the world. I don't think the Word of God supports that. You hear this message today and Jesus comes back now, it's too late for you. That's why you need to trust Him now. The Bible encourages today's the day of salvation. You don't have any excuse if He comes back and you say, well, I thought it was going to be later. He'll say, well, I'm sorry, it's not. It's now. So you need to trust him now. I encourage you to do it. One more verse of our song. If you want to talk to somebody, we have people in the back. Pauline's up here at the front for anybody who wants to do that. You can talk to me afterwards. Uh, you know, we always believe this. As long as you're breathing, you can trust Jesus Christ. It's when you stop breathing, that's the problem. So let's do it while we're breathing, okay? Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Roanoke Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roanoke Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.